What if I told you there's a way you could be a second shooter at a family session so you can see exactly how the photographer prepares, how they interact with their clients, what they say when they're posing, or when they choose to use fluid motion, what they do when kids might not cooperate or dad might not be in the session. What if I told you there's a way you can see what the gear is that they're using, where they're positioning themselves when they're shooting, what factors they're taking into consideration when they're shooting, what if I told you there was a way you could see what their straight out of camera images look like, and then you could see their editing process too, so you know exactly how they get those start to finish images and those polished ones you see in your Instagram feed. Now what if I told you you could be that second shooter without ever having to leave your house? What if I told you that not only do you get to watch it from home, but you didn't have to remember every single thing you were trying to learn the first time you watched it? What if you could watch and rewatch as much as you wanted? How would that improve your images, your posing, your confidence? Now, what if I told you there is a way you could be a second shooter, not only for one photographer, but 26. That's exactly what you'll experience inside the 2024 online family retreat. Your inspiration will soar, your art will improve, your posing will become more fluid, and your confidence is going to increase so, so much. And honestly, your clients are going to feel so much more comfortable. Head on over to themilkyway.ca slash family retreat. It all gets underway May 29th, and we hope to see you there. When we imagine what something's going to be, oftentimes we're imagining it without any of our vulnerabilities attached. So we're thinking it's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have this experience, but we're not imagining it in our actual vulnerable bodies with other people not meeting our expectations and there's no disappointment. And so we are setting ourselves up always to be disappointed. Welcome to the Art and Soul Show, where we dive into heart-opening chats on photography, business, life, and that messy in-between. I'm your host, Lisa DeJeso, a mom, a photographer, and entrepreneur, and I'll be sharing honest conversations and advice for photographers with insight on mindset, entrepreneurship, and creativity. The goal of this podcast is for you to be able to gain insights and strategies that will get you real results. Because let's face it, having a photography business can be lonely, but it doesn't have to be. This is the place you can go when you need a boost of encouragement, a kick in the pants, and inspiration to pick up your camera. This is the Art and Soul Show. Hello, my beautiful friends. Welcome back to the show. Today, I am so excited to dive into today's conversation with Joy Prouty. Now, I have been following Joy for years, like probably close to 12, 13 years, way back on these online forums where before even Facebook forums and groups really existed. So I am so excited to actually sit down and have this chat with her. Now, if you don't know Joy, Joy Prouty is and a photographer for over 20 years. She's a mentor and educator. She's a new author of an incredible, beautifully written book called Practicing Presence. She's a keynote speaker at ClickAway, a celebrity photographer featured in People Magazine, Magnolia Journal, and Entertainment Tonight, and Friends. I am so excited to dive into this conversation. I just actually finished reading her book last night. It is so beautifully written. It is a mother's guide to savoring the photos you've already taken. It's about practicing presence 
which as an artist and a mother, I would absolutely recommend. So without further ado, here's Joy. Welcome. Thank you. Okay, I need to just listen to that intro at the beginning of every day when I wake up. This is my new affirmation. Yes. <laughs> That's not how I my inner thoughts are not speaking that way. So. Oh, no, you are incredible. And like your way with words, like, honestly, I was just before we even got started, I was letting Joy know how much I loved reading her book. And there is like some tearjerker moments in there. It is just so beautifully written with so many actual steps at the end of the chapters on how to really be in presence and really embrace our photography and our lives and mothers. Because as we know, it goes so fast, but also like the days are long, but the years are so short. So that's one thing that I'm really, really starting to figure out. So I want to talk about your book. We're going to start there. Can you share what motivated you to write this book? Well, I was working really, really hard doing a lot of photography work. I was traveling across the country. I was gone for a lot of time away from my family in the le- in the years leading up to 2019. And I don't think that that would have, I don't think I would have slowed down enough to be able to write a book if I hadn't have gotten, I got diagnosed with type one diabetes yes. and then COVID hit and I had two babies and it was just, yeah. <laughs> I felt like at times I would say, and probably for a lot of people, maybe that has been around as long as you and me in, in this community, you're like, is my time past me? Like, am I too late? Does this thing even resonate with me anymore? Does it even matter to people? And lots of like self-assessment <laughs> happening. And I I have always loved writing. And I felt like, well, maybe, maybe everything just, none of it is wasted. And in fact, it's meant to be helpful in a different way. And so I started writing and I had been collecting the stories of my photography career and doing video for for a long time because I was able to be with people in the midst of like transition of dying and births and just lots of these very symbolic, important life experiences that I held this perspective or all of us as photographers, videographers, documentarians, we all hold this perspective that we're watching some kind of miraculous thing happen before us. And our stories aren't always told because they aren't our stories to tell, but we're walking around with these like magical moments stuffed inside of us. And those are the things that make us not give up when we get really burned out. But I I had all these stories. And so I decided the book would be an excellent way for people to benefit for all of the things that were like (laughs) anything about me that was just about my personal growth. Like it's in there, but a lot of it got taken out so that what remains is very helpful for whoever is reading it. So yeah, absolutely. It really was. For me, I've got a 14 year old. I've got an only child, a 14 year old. And so it's been this really interesting relationship with my photography and my photography business. And because I only have one regret a lot of regret and a lot of almost shaming. And so what I really found was in your book, just sort of the permission just to kind of be like, you know what? It's okay. It's okay. You did the best you could. You were trying to build your business. You're trying to build your empire at the time. You didn't know you were only going to have one child. You tried to have more. That's okay. I think this, this book is such a good read, especially for new mamas, just to like, just stop 
And I know like those days are so hard, but just to stop and like those little things that we forget, like that hand on the cheek mm-hmm. or that, like, you don't know that, that with a 14 year old, you don't know that the last time you pick them up is going to be the last time, Yes, <laughs> you know, like it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. And so I really love, I love the perspective of this book about slowing down and the camera you have is the best camera to be using. So it's like not shaming people for pulling out their cell phones. It's not trying to talk everybody into buying a DSLR. It's like, just shoot mama, shoot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, thank you, Lisa, for sharing about that. Like that's really tender and vulnerable to talk about our choices and our regrets and how we're living and we're all just doing the best we can. (laughs) And I have a just turned 15 year old boy also. So I totally resonate with so many of the things that you're saying. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot. But I think, you know, part of the things that have really helped me that we can still share with our kids, no matter how old they are, because it's, I can, I can easily fall into that scarcity mindset of like, oh, it's too late with him. Or, you know, I can't connect in that same way that I once did. Or it's like, we have to recalibrate into this new normal. And I think that we have more distractions than ever. And so we have to recalibrate into this new normal of this current time also, which is way different than when we first started raising our kids at three or 14 years ago. And so to be present is hard because we oftentimes, like, especially as documentarians, like, we thought, like, we knew we that we were capturing something amazing, like, in the present moment. That's why we started taking pictures, because we're like, yeah. this thing is worth living for. It gives meaning to all that other, the rest of this stuff. And so for me to find out, like, the research behind the way our brains work and that the reason why it seems like the time is going by so fast is because our brains literally are not recording the memories. So mm-hmm. the research, you know, like when I'm like, how come I don't remember my son growing up? Like he's 14. How, where did I st- <gasps> miss it? Right. right? What happened? <laughs> I know. But it's, it's that research about the neuroscience that if we are not present in our experiences of joy or beauty, positivity, if we're not living them, experiencing them, focusing on them for 20 seconds each, they don't even become a memory inside of our brain. But something that's negative, it imprints in one second. So that was so shocking for me. (laughs) And like justifying, validating to moms that like, oh, this is why you can't remember anything because we are, we have so many requirements at every moment at all times that we are never focusing on something for 20 seconds. No. (laughs) But that our pictures, (laughs) we can often return to that moment when we look at it because we often are staring at our subject for 20 seconds. So it's a magical portal that takes us back. Yeah, it really does. And that's one thing, like, it was funny because I was putting together a birthday video video for my son and I got mad at my husband. And I was like, why isn't there not more video from when he was born and when he was little? He's like, babe, he's like, our phones didn't have that yet. Yeah. I was like, what? (laughs) Of course, of course. (laughs) It's so crazy because we think we're capturing it. Like if we're like, oh, let me get that before it leaves. But it's not going into our muscle memory. It's not imprinting upon our brain. Mm -hmm. We're not having an emotional experience because we're not sitting in it long enough. So it's actually just tons of wasted moments that we are not connected to. 
Yeah. hundred percent. And even, even just pulling out your phone and camera, it's always been sort of a very difficult relationship with my family because work was work. And so when my camera came out, it's like, mom's going to work. We'll have to go to work. And you know, like it's the, the photographer's child syndrome that we hear about. So I've always had sort of a reluctant little model where, you know, we've gone through bribing. It got to a point where he was like, I don't want you to take my picture anymore. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm, I got to respect that. So what advice do you have for like maybe other listeners out there that are sort of struggling that they wanted to capture their family so desperately, but they have very reluctant subjects? <laughs> yeah. Think about what's going to work for you because instead yeah. of thinking like, Ooh, what's this like magic trick for teens, which like there is none. <laughs> Fortnite V bucks. Yeah, I mean, I think it's more like well, one tip for that is finding like exposing your children to so many different kinds of art and helping them mm. start to have an appreciation for photography as an art form rather than photography as a method of torture. Yes, <laughs> you have to change you get yeah. to change the family culture around the purpose yeah. of photographs by modeling what it can be for you. So yeah. that's why I wrote this book specifically to moms because you are the visionaries of your home. Yeah. You are the leaders. Like <laughs> it is not true mm -hmm. what all, everybody told you about <laughs> be submissive and just follow. Nope. You are the leader. So rise and begin. So it starts with self-validating through documenting your life by choosing to say, I am a witness and hey, kids, like I might have messed up in all these different ways, but I'm going to teach you self-regulation through creative practice. And this is going to benefit you and maybe help you process through a lot of those difficult feelings yeah. that I initiated in you. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> Sorry, I broke you. This is how we're going to fix it. Right? Yeah, but you get to repair <laughs> together. Repair together. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I love how you said in the book about raising your children while also raising yourself because that really resonated that, you know, we're handed this baby and we're just like inside. I often feel like I'm this 20 year old just with an older face and I'm trying to figure out this adulting thing so hard. <laughs> I know. I, all of us, I, I don't know why we're expected to know what to do, but then there we go. Right. <laughs> so true. And even like looking at my parents sometimes I'm like, oh, like you're just kids too, guys. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's yeah. what, that's what presence allows us to do. It's the process of creatively learning to stop judging yourself so harshly. Yes. And if we can do it for ourselves, then we make space to be able to help others, like to do it for them, to yeah. do it with them, to help make space to realize that they are not capable. Yeah. And so I am, I hope that that's what we can set a, an example for that, <laughs> that we, we didn't see that we didn't know how to do yeah. that. So no, yeah, no, it's so true. So true. So I want to talk a little bit about permission really of letting go of those perfect pictures because as photographers and especially as a trained photographer that's really something that I struggle with is like got to be perfect mm -hmm. and so what advice for, do you have for those that maybe struggle with that perfectionism too well it starts with when you take a picture that is not perfect of you when you look at this so say someone take took your picture hopefully as documentarians you are also prioritizing being photographed and when you look at the picture, you know, like I even do this a lot with my family sessions is I do a lot of what I call aftercare planning. 
and advisement Mm -hmm. because I think of the photographic process as we have an opportunity to be reborn through this experience. This experience can be like a baptism for us. And that means that like, if we are experiencing like a coming into understanding that this person that we see in the picture is us, is a portion of us, is maybe a masking portion of us, is maybe trying to like keep it all together. Like, what do you see there? Be willing to look. Allow the new part of you that's like being born through that witnessing yourself to happen and like prepare that it's going to be uncomfortable. Like, what is your aftercare plan? Like, are you going to look at it? Like you, before you even look, you tell yourself, I am not going to expect my body to look like when I was 20. I am not going to expect everyone to be looking at the camera and smiling. You have to really set the intention for the purpose of the photograph. And also, it is so important to realize who told me that I had to look perfect in pictures. Work through that. Work through like who modeled for you that you can't let your double chin show or your Mm -hmm. whatever. Fill in the blank. (laughs) Yeah. Everything. (laughs) Your hair shouldn't look like that. Or why does this? Right? Why did you ma- do you this kind of choice on this clothing yeah. or whatever? So photographs are doors that if we choose to open them, they reveal the deepest part of ourselves that need to heal. We can choose to be self-healers through photographs. And if you are trying to make them perfect, that's okay. Maybe you're not ready. You don't have to open the door, but they can be more than what you're making them. Yeah, 100%. I've gone on a bit of my own personal project this year where, because I had a very reluctant model, I just decided, okay, well, I'm going to photograph myself. And it's going to, it's really interesting self-study this year. I'm a, I'm very much a fine art photographer where I love compositing. I love creating scenes and whatever is from my imagination and morphing myself into a character. But looking at those raw files and trying to look at them without that judgment has been wild. Like it's been wild. But along the process since January, I've actually lost 75 pounds. Wow. So it's been like this whole transformative journey on how I view myself through the power of my lens. So it's just been this absolutely wild journey of just like learning to love yourself this year. That's incredible. So Lisa, do you have, you know, affirmations or intentions that you set for yourself or what is your process doing that? My process is having fun Mm -hmm. is letting that little girl who loved to play dress up, put on a wig, do her makeup, get into a scene and just have fun. Mm -hmm. And I think when I am true to that, no matter what I make, I'm going to be happy because I'm making it for me and I'm not making it for someone mm. else. And so it comes to that sort of self-validation that instead of that you talked about in your book is instead of like looking for those external sources, like the cookies of the likes or the comments. Yes, they're wonderful, but I've already made it for me. Mm. So I'm already thrilled. Right. And however I look, I'm 45. Cool. This is what I look like at 45. Right. <laughs> Yeah, well, you look really beautiful, but I just really love that, that the way that you're saying that you're doing it for you. Yes, and I think that's so important, like that people remember, like even put on your phone, like put a little piece of tape with some, some Sharpie that says, who is this for, right? So when you lift yeah. your camera up to take a picture, you're thinking, 
Are you already looking for the best spot or the best version of you or like putting it down because it's not some ideal or are you just going to do it for yourself? And the more times we do it, like the self-validation research was so like blew my mind. And I'm sure it did for you too, about how for all of us, I mean, women, hundred percent, we have been invalidated in so many different ways. And a lot of us, I think artists got into this career of doing this for other people because the validation from other people that we are making beautiful things or showing them things that were beautiful, that really was a salve for us that we're seeking some kind of someone to say, you have all of this worth. But then you do it for long enough and you realize like, it's not really working anymore. Like what needs to happen here? And that's when you realize, okay, if I don't learn the art of (laughs) self-validation and start to validate myself, like, I can't make it. I definitely can't make it. You know, there's no, there's no possibility for connection with other people if I don't figure this out, how to be healthy. And so the research in invalidation is that for every instance of invalidation, it takes 20 times of attuning to yourself to heal that specific wound. And so photography is such an amazing way of doing that because you can easily witness yourself 20 times in one occasion using photographs. If you would then sit with them and you're like, yes, I am worthy. I am valid to show up. This is a beautiful person. This is a good body. Then you're developing strength. I love that. And I love your affirmations. So can you share a little bit? on how you found affirmations, how they work for you. And when do you use them? Are you using them like in the morning, evening, all day long? (laughs) Yeah. So intention is what I talk about in the book a lot. So affirmations like, yes, like affirming yourself, they're so important. But I think on on the realm of getting to the subconscious, like the part where it's actually going to really benefit our brain, that's where intention really comes in super powerfully. So, okay, I'm someone who really struggles with being in fight or flight mode. I think the majority of us do. (laughs) I'm just like, literally 10 minutes ago, I took a big chunk of like frozen meat and I just like had it on my (laughs) chest. I was like, hey, we're regulating. You're a little wired right now. Like, come on, girl, we got to calm down a little bit. (laughs) Frozen meat. That is so good. Mine is usually like what peas, like peas or butternut squash, squash from the freezer. So yes, meat, awesome, great. (laughs) Okay, so obviously, yes, you understand. So like we are all, I mean, aside from like maybe childhood trauma stuff, there's just like existing in the world right now. And if your mom, like they are teaching you all of the unhealed places within yourself. So fight or flight is like a place where I have existed with a very elevated adrenaline, cortisol content. Like I definitely think that contributes to my autoimmune stuff. So many of us women with hormones, like definitely it's toxic for us, stress. So fight or flight is this thing where if we don't figure out how to talk to our brain. So there's this part of our brain called the reticular activation system. And it's where all of our sensory input is happening. So like Ideally, we don't want to like overflow it, right? We just want to like send in some lovely sensory things every so often and everything's going to be great. And the reticular activation system doesn't have to like do any hard work. 
but that's not the world we live in. (laughs) So there's so much sensory information, so much sensory stuff going in the brain at all times that we have to use the power of intention to tell our brain what to prioritize. And so Mm -hmm. as an example, I talk about in the book, One particular morning, we were watching this documentary about lions, and my son came up to me and started talking to me, and all of a sudden, I realized he had this lion on his jammies, but he had worn those pajamas like 50 times before. I don't know, maybe not that many, but a lot of times before, and I had never realized that there was a lion, but because... I was exposing myself to all of this information about lions. My brain was like, oh, okay. Joy, Joy is interested in lions now. We're going to be on the lookout everywhere for lions. And so if we can do that with positivity, and this is this is basically the essence of manifestation, like in a brainwaves level, is so every day, figure out what you're struggling with, what's blocking you. For me, it's a lot of like self-hatred thoughts. And so I have to tell myself so that I don't focus on negative things because it's like, bam, 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 bam. There's a lot of imprinting of that going on. I have to be so intentional every day of there is something good here right now or joy. You have everything you need. Like I don't need to seek. Uh, So all of these things, these statements, right? So I'm telling myself, I write them every morning, 10 times each. I put them on my phone. I do an alarm. I write it on my arm. I put it on the bathroom mirror. Like I'm trying to get that message into my brain as much as possible. And then throughout the day, I found I struggle with a lot less anxiety because of continually feeding myself the things that are true because I didn't know the battle that I was subconsciously fighting. (laughs) I love that. Have you heard of the work by Byron Katie at all? Yes, yes. Because I really, I really love that. And that's one thing for my own thought management that, because I really do struggle with a lot of negative thoughts and I get into these loops too. But what I found with the work is it's like a four-step process where you're questioning, is it true? And then do I know for sure it's true? And who would I be without this thought? Mm -hmm. And I can't remember the fourth one, but I, yeah, there's a fourth one. I butchered that. But (laughs) my favorite part is who would I be without this thought? And when you start to visualize the person that you would be, say it's like, I'm untalented. This is something that I frequently bump Mm -hmm. up against. I'm not talented. I'm not talented. Like, no, okay, I am talented. Or who would I be if I believed that I was extremely talented? Mm -hmm. How would I show up in the world? Mm -hmm. And when I live my life from that, my own thought management has been so much better versus getting stuck and looping Mm -hmm. in it. That's beautiful. So switching it, right, with affirmations Mm -hmm. and it's just, it's been so, so helpful. Yeah, because a moment becomes what we expect it to be. And most often yeah. it is full of disappointment. Someone I enjoy learning from is Scott Erickson, Scott the Painter on Instagram. And he talks about how when we imagine what something's going to be, oftentimes we're imagining it without any of our vulnerabilities attached. Mm-hmm. So we're thinking it's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have this yeah. experience, but we're not imagining it in our actual vulnerable bodies with other yeah. people not meeting our expectations and there's no disappointment. And so we are setting ourselves up always to be disappointed. It's so true. Yeah. <laughs> so it just goes to show Lisa how much work you've done for yourself that you are able to uh-huh. recognize those things. And that's really wonderful that you're 
practicing that. (laughs) Trying, trying. It's funny. My birthday was last week. And it's funny because my husband and I, we always get into a bit of a birthday tiff right before or during after my birthday. And I went into my birthday this year and I was like, you know what? I'm going to have zero expectations of him. He doesn't have to do, he doesn't have to do a thing. He doesn't even have to wish me happy birthday because regardless, I am going to have an amazing day. Mm. And, you know, he got up in the morning, wished me happy birthday, brought me, got me a present. He was lovely, got me flowers. And it was the best birthday I ever had because I, I approached it without that feeling of having that expectation and then being disappointed because it wasn't met. Mm -hmm. And you're so right about like your brain and expectations, because when we take that away, that's where joy is, right? Yes. Like, well, joy is only accessible in the present moment. You can't time travel yeah. and experience joy. Mm-mm. So that's beautiful. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I'm so glad you had a wonderful birthday. <laughs> I did. It was awesome. It's his, it's his birthday oh, today. Too. And you're working. <laughs> you are having a good day too. <laughs> I'm having an amazing day. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. Now, for many of us, there is this feeling of getting stuck in survival mode where our days turn into weeks. As working photographers, you realize you actually haven't photographed your own family in weeks, if not months, beyond that quick snap running out the door. So what advice do you have maybe for slowing down to want to pick up that camera when so many of us are burnt out physically, emotionally, and creatively? Yeah. Okay. Well, the first thing to go always when you're in survival mode is creativity and imagination. Those things are like extra. (laughs) And I mean, you're exhausted. So getting, getting rest is so important. But I think if you can find some way to think about the act of taking pictures in a different way. So the reason you're exhausted is because you are full of emotions that haven't been able to be expressed and your immune system is low, (laughs) your body is exhausted, right? But if you can think about photos as a way of entering into self-compassion to give you energy to sustain all of the work that you're doing, like stop thinking about, I'm going to grab my camera to take a picture and start thinking, I'm going to grab my camera because I need to do my meditation, or I'm going to grab my camera. So it's like the camera can be a substitute for any other mental health practice if you are choosing to use it with intention. So you have to start thinking like a pen. We use a pen in a lot of different ways to write things, to keep track of finances. Like we do stressful things with a pen and work like things with a pen, but we can also write poetry with a pen. We can also sketch our child with a pen. Mm-hmm. So start to think about the camera as a tool for doing something different that requires you to actually become embodied rather than become disembodied and do a job. Mm. So it's like literally a reframe. Yes. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> love it. So I fell in love with photography, especially lifestyle photography years ago, but my experience photographing my own little guy really, it was, it was hard. And I think the experience of having an only child was really different because he would never independent play. He was just really keenly aware of what I was doing, what attention I was paying to him, that I really struggled with like those in-between moments of him just doing something. Those are the moments that I was hoping to capture of him just being himself mm-hmm. instead of just looking at me. So do you have any advice now that we're sort of approaching the teen years of approaching things in a different way 
Maybe it's my perspective. Maybe it's how I approach him. Does he care about photographs in any way? He is like, and he's like, mom, don't put that on Facebook. Don't put this on the internet. I'm like, no, baby. Like it's just, I just want to snap a photo of you just being you. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) have you put him in charge and let him take his own pictures? You know, I haven't. It might be worth trying. Like, I mean, Christmas yeah. is coming up. Maybe thinking about getting a different kind of camera, like a Polaroid or yeah. a camera that he could use to explore the world around him so that he starts to yeah. see the value of taking pictures without it being, like, pushed onto him. Because it's about creating a different family culture, right? So d- when you're developing yeah. a different family culture, it's even having a conversation with him about it too would be really good. Maybe that's like a dinner time conversation. Yeah. We talk yeah. about this as a family too. It's like, I always fed you guys candy to get you to smile for the picture and blah, blah, blah. You're talking about these different things. Yeah. And and they're like, oh yeah, but like I was thinking, oh, I'm doing this damage. But the other day we were looking at all these pictures. We moved recently and found these um, chat books, you know, that had all of my old Instagram yeah. pictures and everything. And they were like, yeah, I remember that we had candy, but I also remember we had so much fun doing this thing. And so, like, I think it's important not only that we think about, like, ooh, how have we made our kids feel about photos, but also, first of all, give yourself grace for the way that photos used to be a thing (laughs) (laughs) before you learned about the importance of (laughs) self-compassion and that you would remember everything that happened during the photo. (laughs) But then also, like, get out old albums, of when he yeah. was younger and both of you together recognize the value of the family pictures of the pictures that you guys had from when you were younger, have him be, or just like put them out on the coffee table, let him discover them on his own. And like, he'll be laughing or smiling or looking at, you know, so then you're like, Hey, what if we did like, let's recreate one of those stupid pictures or yeah. like even like, Hey, I would love to know how you see me. Like one year, two years ago, I asked my kids at Christmas, the gift I wanted that from each of them was each of them to take a picture of me so that I could see who I was from their perspective. And so you just kind of get a little bit more creative about the way that you're thinking about his engagement with the photographs. I love that. And you mentioned that in your book too, about, I think it was, Maybe your son Smith, is mm-hmm, that right? Mm-hmm. You, and you were you're talking about when he looked at you, he had never seen you as like 20-year-old Joy. He just knew you from where you are now yeah. as his mama. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're so right. They're not looking at us as like when we were 20, 22, you know, like it's, <laughs> it's your mom. <laughs> yeah. And a much, and that's amazing. Yeah, a way more whole version than the version they might have yes. met at twenty. So yes, yeah. yes, it was beautiful. I love that. <laughs> so I loved this quote from your book. When we take a photo of something we find in- interesting, we are proclaiming that our perspective matters. So often we get in our own heads that our own perspective doesn't matter. What advice do you have about? and for self-compassion and also bravery to share our images and our perspectives with the world when we're feeling really scared about it. Okay. Well, first you go through that question of who is this for, right? Anytime you're about mm. to post something. So, I, I mean, I think that's probably the most important part to talk about that, about is like, what mindset are you in before you're about to share something that was vulnerably mm. created through you, you know, like, and when you think about art in that way, that you're at least planning to share with other people, you are claiming somehow that it's like, 
it's coming from you, but it also is coming through you. Because if you don't believe yeah. that in some way or like like truly embody that belief, you're going to hit imposter syndrome every single time. And so like the cure to imposter syndrome is the understanding and like constantly centering yourself of realizing this is not just mine. I'm the carrier mm-hmm. of this. And so then it became becomes a lot easier to talk about the work because it's really important that you talk about the work that like, you know, like even me doing this book, like I worked on it. I put so much hard work into it. I put it out there and then like, it would be such a disservice to the work that came through me that is just partially mine. If I don't talk about how important it is or, you know, share about the ways it came about to me or what I want people to feel, or we wouldn't be able to connect, you know, like that would have been neglected if I had kept it to myself or didn't talk about it. And so, yeah, the, like the ownership part is something to really think about. But as far as like being afraid, my fear of sharing is usually always based in scarcity mindset. Nobody's going to see it. Nobody's going to like it. Uh, I'm exhausted. Also, where am I in my cycle that month? You know, like there's so many contributors, (laughs) so many, I mean, that should be a way more talked about thing because it's real and we're somehow expected to just be like impenetrable. (laughs) So yeah. Is that helpful? Is that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Actually, you hit the nail on the head, the cycle thing, because I've been talking recently with, because I'm 45, I'm perimenopause and there is so little information mm-hmm. on, you know, moods, even like, I'm like, do I have PMDD, which is mm-hmm. like, you're feeling really crappy the second half of your cycle. I tried going on progesterone, wasn't for me. I got anxiety <sighs> attacks. Like there's so little information yeah. for women going through this and we're expected just to like hustle along with a smile on our face. Right? Yeah. And I don't want to do that. I want to talk about it. Yeah. Right? Well, that's what you're doing with your art, you know, and yeah. like, how can we use our art? Like, cause I start to feel that way too. Like who's going to want to hear me talk, but then I'm like, Oh wait, I got a superpower of making art. How can I make this through the imagery so that people are impacted in the way that like the miracle of life can only, you know, they can only hear it through the image. They could never just get, have the patience of waiting to hear me say it. So, yeah, yeah, totally. Can we talk a little bit about the comparison game? Okay. Because it's that picture perfect Instagram feed where even the imperfect homes seem dreamy and yours feels like a train wreck on a good day. So we actually went through a five-year renovation when my son was about five to 10 years old. And I was so embarrassed at the state of my house that I actually, there are almost zero pictures mm-hmm. during that, that time period. And I do really quite regret it. So how do you get over that? How do you get over that feeling of like, everyone else's home is amazing. Mine is this. Yeah. <laughs> well, because <laughs> it feels shamey and it's gross. And I guess it's that self-compassion, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, that's a great question. And I've moved quite a few times and been in a state of transition, like all the time I've lived in basically any houses because we <laughs> renovate too, but like it's not good until you're ready to sell it. And then you're not, you know, Yeah. so like, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think When I look back, I have definitely seen like the seasons of depression line up when the portions of that I haven't taken pictures. And so you could say one causes the other or that what, you know, flip it around. Maybe the reason I'm depressed is because I'm not taking pictures, but either way that's connected. But I would say 
the thing I'm telling myself lately, because we're still living out of boxes and I don't want to not take pictures, is I have to reacquaint myself with the character of light that lives in this house. And so instead of thinking, I know what this picture is going to be like, okay, but I don't know what's the personality of the light in this corner at this type of time of day, where is the light wooing me? And then maybe just in those sections, like first it starts to pay attention to the light. Okay. That it hits there. It hits there. Okay. Maybe I want to put like a lace curtain there so that when that shadow hits, it's going to be really interesting. It's going to inspire me. It's going to make me want to take a picture. So instead of thinking the whole house needs to be clean, I just am looking for these little pockets to create Mm -hmm. art in. So at least I have something to look forward to every day. And that is the spots of light. So like you could even talk to the light, give it a name. Is she a woman? Does she have this like really magical old lady, long gray hair name? You know, like follow her around. Where is she taking you? Our house would have a long, old-haired lady. I want to know what you are naming her. Come on, Lisa. Let's give her a name. Oh. Hmm. Helen just keeps popping into my head. Helen. Helen sounds beautiful. Helen, she's like fun and she's elegant and she, yeah, she's just like, she likes to dance. Oh my gosh. I want to see where Helen dances. Take a picture there. We're going to find some pockets of Helen. I love that. Okay. Really? Let's see how this works. Let me, let me know. I really will. So I want to talk about self-doubt procrastination because this is probably my own biggest obstacle to my own creativity. It's that little voice that says, you're stupid. Why are you trying to do that? It's not going to turn out anyway. So why are you even bother trying? So it's really struggling with that inner gremlin that I've really really tried to work through over the past years. So do you have any advice to learn to ignore it and how to create from the heart? Well, I think it's kind of like what we were talking about before about the like, what is the nucleus of why you're creating, you know? And so first think about it on a personal level, because if you don't get clear about your why, then you have no motivation to do the thing. And I can't ever usually self-motivate myself. So I <laughs> I have to think of like, okay, is the is the the discomfort of of taking this picture, trying to attempt this thing, possibly feeling like a failure, like whatever, is it worth it? Why am I doing it? And for me, it has to start with mental health. And so I'm thinking, okay, I'm doing this because it's important for me to believe that there's something here worth seeing, worth witnessing, worth documenting, and that I'm not the only one here. Like there's all my kids are impacted by my energy And so it's a connection piece. So, you know, you just start naming all of those layers as to like, you're not creating because it's selfish, because that's just the initial reaction. Right. It's just, yeah, it's like, oh, I should be doing something else with my time that is like better for my entire family instead of my little piece. Yeah. Which is so silly. Yeah. So just acknowledge (laughs) and document how it is beneficial for you to be in a creative headspace. It's definitely going to help you solve a lot of problems throughout the day in a much more effective manner. So convince yourself, write down an overwhelming list of reasons why it's valuable for you to do that. And then Mm -hmm. put it next to the bed or like whatever. (laughs) You just, you have to realize it's it's deeper. It's deeper than what people are saying. Yeah, it is. It's deeper than just making an image that you think, you know, maybe I'll put this on the internet and maybe I won't. It's it's deeper than that. It's like, I need to create because it fills Mm -hmm. my soul. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Love that. 
All right. So you ready for our lightning okay, round? Okay, lightning round. Let's do it. Okay. Lightning round. Okay. If you like to cook, what do you like to cook the most? Chicken, seasoned chicken with like chili lime, salt, black pepper, mm-hmm. garlic, little maybe balsamic, like very crispy on both sides. Favorite movie? Moonrise Kingdom is a top pick. I never get bored of it. And now my kids are into it. And so, you know, we get to talk about filmmaking and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) Favorite guilty or not so guilty pleasure? It feels guilty, but I know that it's not. And it's my cold plunge practice going in the sea. We moved to an island a couple of months ago. And so we go in the sea and I sneak away by myself. And it's definitely a mental health thing, but like... Sometimes I go in naked and that feels a little bit like a guilty pleasure, even though it's benefiting my mental health in so many different ways. Yeah. yeah, The studies that I've heard with like the Wim Wim Hof method really like, I keep trying to jump in that shower and like turn it and crank it cold. And I'm just like, no. (laughs) So you're a brave lady. I love it. Lisa, you got to find somewhere. Where do you live? I live in British Columbia. Okay. Okay. So you could find a cold, you could. You have to make it into more of an experience, you know, like for those of us that are artists, like make it like into this very like sacred outdoor experience. So yeah, Yeah. I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that. (laughs) What did you want to be when you grew up as a kid? I wanted to be a reporter. And I'm literally looking at myself with these headphones and a microphone right now. This is so funny. Like, (laughs) yeah, I'm reporting on what is meaningful to people's lives. (laughs) I love that. And my next question is oceans or mountains and why? Well, I pick the Salish Sea. I love whales. I love moss. I love the, like, I feel like the ocean is like a woman, you know, telling us how to be. Mm. What is something you've accomplished as an adult that your younger self would be proud of? Having poetry published in a book would be, my younger me would be really proud of that. So I have poems in between each chapter and I had so many poetry books when I was little. So (laughs) what are you most grateful for in this season of life? That my husband and I are on a healing journey together. So Mm. I think that we, we are meeting in the middle after a lot of like trying to find the roots of our pain for a really long time. And it feels really beautiful to be able to be hopefully setting the example of repair that our children are observing and to be able to do it through art is really something fun that we've been stepping into. So when do you feel most authentically yourself? When I'm dancing, (laughs) I think dancing by myself. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I love it. You know what I did last night is I actually made a playlist on Spotify and I named it Forgotten Songs that I yes. love. And I went through like old 90s, like 80s, 2000s of songs that like the ones, because I'm pretty sure I have ADHD and I will find a song, but I will listen to it so yes. many times that I now know all the words to yes. the song, but then I'll forget it and I'll come up with a new one. So the list of like 150 songs that I'd done with that, like throughout my life, and I have the best playlist now. It is so great. I played it on the way to work today. It was my gosh. I love that. (laughs) Ah, that's such a good idea. Awesome thing. I want to do that too. (laughs) Yeah. Do it. Um, do you have any personal projects going on right now? I'm writing my second book. So that's fun. I'm working on that and it's requiring me to do a lot of self-portraits. 
So yeah, it's self-portraits are really hard for me. I mean, I feel like I have to endure this fire if I'm going to help other people understand the value of it. But the technical part of it is really hard for me. I don't like that. I like when I when I'm photographing people, I love to be able to have full control over the focus. Like I do yeah. I use manual focus all the time. I mean, like primarily, yeah. and I can't I have I can't do that for myself, like with a self-portrait experience. No. And it feels like I'm having to get more creative with my craft in this way. And I do not like that. <laughs> so <laughs> it's oh it's it self-portraits yes. are hard. They really are. They I really bow are. to you, Lisa. <laughs> um, Actually, have you tried the Cam Range Cam Ranger Mini? It is something that you you click onto your mm-hmm. camera, and it's an app on your mm-hmm. phone. So wherever you are, you can set your camera and make sure it's focused. Oh on yeah, you. yeah, yeah, yeah. I have, but it's, it's like for video too. Like I'm just so connected yeah. that I just like yeah being able to like get closer and like move fluidly. Like <laughs> yeah. so, but thank you. Yeah, I I think I have. Yeah, Connect Canon Connect. Or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yes. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. They're super handy. <laughs> Thanks. So what advice would you have for someone who's first starting out with photography, whether it be business or just with a camera? Notice what makes you come alive and notice what makes you extra depleted of energy. And do not do anything that pulls your energy anywhere down because there's a lot of trying to prove yourself and not wanting to disappoint people. And when you're working with clients, you don't want them to be unhappy, but everybody's going to end up unhappy if you're shooting things that don't feel authentic to who you are as an artist. So just get super, super clear into like how weird and quirky you want to be and just keep on walking down that road. (laughs) Oh, that's such good (laughs) advice. I love that. I wish someone had told me that in the beginning. (laughs) I love being weird. You're in your weird and quirky (laughs) self-portrait era, Lisa. I love it. I love it. (laughs) So where can our listeners learn more from you? So you can find me on Instagram at Joy Proudy. That's where I talk a lot of my stories and I share excerpts from the book and talk more about like taking care of ourselves through the process of taking pictures. So I love to end my interviews just with this last question, and it is, what are you currently curious about or artistically curious about? Mm. Okay. Well, I guess I'm curiously artistic about lighting for self-portraits, you know, like color casts and creating different, like, you know, being intentional about different colors. Like, I don't know. I, uh, it's being a beginner at something again, (laughs) because I've never done that before. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, Joy, thank you so much for having this beautiful conversation with me today. I have treasured your time and I really appreciate you sharing yourself with our listeners. Thanks, Lisa. I've loved it too. Thank you. Oh, my beautiful friends. I hope you have loved this conversation just as much as I have. I'm sending you so much of my light and my love today and every single day. We will see you next time. Hey friend, you know what's the worst? It's just being mid-session and completely freezing. You start to feel awkward, your clients start looking at you for direction, and your brain feels like you just hit a wall. Now believe me, you are not alone. And that's why we created the Storytellers Toolkit. It's an emotive prompt guide to help sessions stay free-flowing and fun. And best of all, right now, it's totally free. It's full of prompts for parents, motherhood, family, siblings, and couples, and even surefire smile prompts. 
and we've put together over 200 prompts for you so you'll never be at loss for an idea again. Grab your copy at themilkyway.ca slash toolkit.